everyone. Welcome to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We invite you to join our mission to love like Jesus, and you can connect with us on social media or visit our website, csvineyard.org. Now for this week's talk, brought to you by co-lead pastor, Amos Grunendijk. Good morning, everybody. I'm glad you came. Did you guys bring your Bibles? If you didn't, uh, there are Bibles in the back by the Giving Baskets. Uh, they have the same page numbers as my Bible. The, they have been diminishing in number, which is okay. I just I put in an order yesterday. We're going to replenish those Bibles, but I think it's really helpful to follow along with us as we continue our study of Isaiah 60. Isaiah 60 is a vision of heaven. Uh, the future that we all hope for in Jesus. And I think as we look at this passage, we will be able to answer some of the most fundamental questions today that every human must answer. The three big ones, right? Who am I? Why am I here? And who do I belong to? We're going to be trying to answer those three questions by looking at Isaiah 60. And we are also having baptism today, which is really an expression of your declaration that I belong to Jesus. So there are seven really fabulous humans that are going to be making that statement today. But if you feel compelled to be baptized today and didn't sign up for the class... If you feel like Jesus is inviting you to be dunked in this tank for the whole room to see, and I mean, we're on YouTube live, so I mean, your family could tune in as well. Uh, I would pay attention to that. Pay attention to what's going on in your heart during the talk today. And if you feel like it's God, I would obey One of the ways you might uncover whether or not it's God is if it's all you can think about for the next 30 minutes. I feel like I should be baptized. There may be a moment during the talk where you feel like, I just think today is the day. And then what will happen as soon as you have that thought is you'll have all these reasons not to do it. Uh, It'll be embarrassing. I will get wet. I am uh, not so sure I'm ready to make this kind of commitment. In that moment, invite God to speak to you more clearly. As those excuses fill your mind, just say, Jesus, what do you want me to do today? And if that is you, come and find me. I'll be, I mean, I usually sit right over there. Uh, We'll talk, we'll chat a few minutes, and we'll do it. Sound like a plan? Cool. Okay. Isaiah 60. Let's read. We'll start in verse 1. We're not going to read the whole thing because it's kind of long, but I'll walk you through this. Arise, Jerusalem. Let your light shine for all to see. For the glory of the Lord rises to shine on you. Darkness as black as night covers all the nations of the earth, but the glory of the Lord rises and appears over you. All nations will come to your light. Mighty kings will come to see your radiance. 
And remember, if you were here last week, this points us toward Revelation 21 and 22, the new Jerusalem descending down to earth where Jesus is king. And remember, we said there can be no kingdom without the king. There can no, be no peace, no true freedom from addiction, from shame, from guilt, unless you submit to Jesus as your king. There's a big difference between saying Jesus is an important part of my life and saying Jesus is king over all my life. And so being part of this kingdom, being a citizen of this city, answers those three questions. Who am I? What am I here for? And to whom do I belong? Let's see what Isaiah 60 has to say about that. We'll jump down past like, let's see here. We'll jump down like 10 verses. There are some really cool things in this middle part of Isaiah, like the ships of Tarshish, Tarshish and the flocks of Kedar. And we're going to talk about all that next week. But for now, let's jump to verse 15. Three weeks in Isaiah 60. Isn't this fun? It's really fun. Isaiah 60. What does it mean to be a citizen of this city? Though you were once despised and hated, with no one traveling through you. Again, remember, this is addressing a city, but you can apply this to what it means to be a citizen of this city. Though you were once despised and hated, with no one like wanting to come through, come to you, I will make you beautiful forever, a joy to all generations. That's the first thing. What does it mean to be a citizen of this place? God makes you beautiful. And a good test to find out if the life of God is flowing into you or not is do other people find you a joy to be around? Who are you? What is your identity based on? Camille, God has made you beautiful and you are a joy to be around. <laughs> I can say that. <laughs> I'll say that to someone else so it's not too weird for you, okay? <laughs> Ray, God has made you beautiful, and you are a joy to be around. It is the fruit of the life of Jesus in your heart. This is what your identity is rooted in if you are a citizen of this city. Verse 16, powerful kings and mighty nations will satisfy your every need, as though you were a child nursing at the breast of a queen. You will know at last that I, the Lord, am your Savior and your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Israel. Second thing it means to be a citizen of the city is you come to know that the Lord, the God of Israel, come to us in the person of Jesus, is your Savior and your Redeemer. Two slightly different nuances in those words. The Savior, the one who rescues you, from death, from sin, from all the things that weigh you down, and your Redeemer, the one who uh, wipes you clean of all the guilt and all the shame and all the sin in your life, the one who pays the price, who in the person of Jesus, we find out in the New Testament, dies for your sins in accordance with what the Bible teaches. Now let's jump down to verse 21. We're making good progress. You're like, this is going to be a quick 
talk. We'll be out of here in no time. <laughs> what I didn't tell you is we're going to jump to the New Testament as well. <laughs> Verse 21. All your people will be what? Righteous. They will possess their land forever, for I will plant them there with my own hands in order to bring myself glory. The smallest family will become a thousand people. The tiniest group will become a mighty nation. At the right time, I, the Lord, will make it happen. So to be a citizen of this city, you must be righteous. You must stand in right standing, stand in right standing. <laughs> like your, your goodness, your character, who you are is good and pure. And if you look at what that means as the Old Testament unfolds and as the Jewish people of Jesus' day understood it, you become righteous by following the law to perfection. All the commands, all the festivals, the rite of circumcision, the pilgrimage to Jerusalem for Passover and other religious festivals, the diet that you eat, right, to eat kosher. These are the things that make you righteous, and they're, they're very visible so that people can see them. But in the New Testament, as you look at the life of Jesus and read through the letters of Paul, you find that it is God who declares you righteous. So your righteousness is declared by God. Your righteousness is received through faith in Jesus in particular, and your righteousness is shown by your life. In other words, your your life has fruit, and it gets expressed through both uh, ethical or moral living, the life that you live, but also the way that you live out the mission of God, the way that you share the good news about Jesus, the way that you invest in people, the way that you love people, the way that you bless those who curse you, the way that you love your enemies, the way that you show generosity to the poor. There is this expression that does not earn your righteousness, but it is a way for you to show that there is the life of God living in you. God declares you righteous. You receive that righteousness through trusting Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And then you show that to the world. You, in the words of Isaiah 60, all your people will be righteous in order to bring who glory? God the glory. That's a little different than what you will see on people's uh, social media feeds, right? The, the social media feed often points to the glorification, not of God, but to the self, right? So let's jump now. Uh, we'll learn a little bit more about what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom or a citizen of heaven from Philippians chapter 3, and we'll start at verse 17, but I want to give you a little bit of background as you turn there. About 40 years before Jesus was born, Julius Caesar is assassinated. There is a civil war in Rome about 40 BC between basically two groups, one group led by Mark Antony and Octavius and the other by Brutus. And they come into this big battle near Philippi. Octavius is important because by the time of Jesus, he's taken on a new name and that name is 
Augustus Caesar. He set himself up as the emperor of Rome. After the battle, Octavius and Mark Antony defeat uh, Brutus. Is it Brutus? Sorry, my history bud. See, there it is. <laughs> Brutus and Cassius and all the Senate. Thank you. Um, and then after the battle's over, they say, well, we have all these soldiers. What will we do with them? Uh, should we bring them back to Rome, the city? Well, they're like all pretty pumped up and they're going to be looking for jobs and they're going to be, you know, full of testosterone and potentially cause trouble in our city. So instead, let's set up Philippi as a Roman colony. Now, Roman colony means that if you live in this city, Philippi, you are living as if you were on Roman soil. It is as if the city of Rome has this arm out to the Roman colonies. So you become a citizen by declaration of Caesar's uh, decree. Caesar says, this is now one of my colonies, and if you live here, you are a Roman citizen, and that gives you special rights under the law. That means that your taxes are less, or maybe if you were in the military, you didn't have to pay taxes at all. And you, you receive this new status in the Roman Empire, but in a sense to really show that you are true to your Roman citizenship, you, you do a couple of things. One is that you declare that Caesar is Lord. Two, you show this by praying to Caesar and going to a temple built to Caesar to worship Caesar. So you express out in this new space the culture and the rule or reign of Rome. You bring Roman culture, you live like a Roman out to these places that were conquered or maybe uh, inhabited by Jewish people or Germanic people or Anglo-Saxon people, you plant this colony so that your influence and culture and ethics and values and worship get implanted into this new place. Likewise, or to contrast that, and you might be thinking, wait a minute. So I, I remember that reading the New Testament that Paul like the guy who wrote Philippians, the guy who wrote Romans was a Roman citizen. He was probably born from two Roman citizens. And I believe uh, Tarsus was one of these Roman colonies. So he would have gotten his status from that. But as a Jew, he gets an exemption from praying to Caesar because the Jews were kind of pesky. They were always trying to rebel and revolt. And so they made a deal. They said, okay, you don't have to pray to Caesar because that's against your religion. Just pray for Caesar and then we'll leave you alone, and please, just stop trying to, like, <laughs> overthrow our rule in Judea, okay? So Paul, Paul gets an exemption from this, and it becomes a crisis for the church when Christianity stops being a part of Judaism, like in the second and third century, and becomes its own entity, people who are following Jesus, because they lose that exception, and that's where you start seeing some of the main persecution happening, because they, at the cost of their life, will not worship Caesar. They will declare very publicly 
in part through this rite or ceremony of baptism, Jesus is Lord. And by saying Jesus is Lord, you're saying, in addition, Caesar is not. Okay. With all that, Philippians 2, verse 17, it says, Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. So this is Paul speaking, and he has just been talking about what to believe. Uh, And the main thing to believe is that compared to Jesus, everything else is rubbish. And uh, also, you don't have to turn back here, but I just want to read this language. I become righteous through faith in Christ, for God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. That's verse uh, 9, in case you're wondering. Everything else is worthless compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Okay, so he makes the shift from saying these are the things you believe to this is the way your life looks in verse 17. Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. Good advice if you want to change. Find someone you want to imitate. Verse 18, for I have told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many whose conduct shows they are really enemies of the the cross of Christ. They are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite, and they brag about shameful things, and they think only about this life here on earth. Can I mention social media twice in one morning to brag about shameful things? Um, When it talks there about appetite, sometimes the Greek is kind of helpful, and I know just enough of it to get myself in trouble. (laughs) But uh, the word here is, is actually literally stomach, but it's used euphemistically to talk about the desires of the body, and more specifically, not about the stomach, but what's just below the stomach. Okay, I'm just going to say it's it's a euphemism for sexual desire, typically. Not only sexual desire, but primarily sexual desire. The things that your body craves. Their God is their sexual appetite. And they brag about shameful things because they only care about this life here on earth. It is really easy, my friends, to justify our own actions. We will go to great lengths to justify obtaining, seeking after, taking the things we want. And in that culture, a lot of what drove people's actions and beliefs Even their religion and faith was their sexual appetite. But it's not the only thing that can drive your life, take the place of Jesus as king in your life. Uh, In this country, to to expand beyond sex, uh, we believe in life, liberty, and the pursuit of what? Happiness wants to take the place of Jesus in your life. And if happiness becomes your God you'll actually never truly find it. If happiness becomes your king, if happiness becomes the test by which I do this or don't do this, 
well, it doesn't make me happy, so I won't do it. It does make me happy. It feels good, so I do it. I was, uh, I was helping paint the, the kids' wings, and I was talking to a friend, and I, we were just talking about how we'll just eat whatever's in the fridge, you know? Like, even if it's old. And it, to me, the test for food is, is this, if, if, is this food questionable? Then I will eat it. If it becomes, like, if there's no doubt in my mind that it's bad for you, then I will throw it away. But if it's questionable, then I eat it. But anyway, he says, uh, he says, you know, I'll eat anything in the fridge, but I mean, I'll, I'll sometimes be in the mood for steak. And I thought about that. I thought, huh, I think the only mood I'm ever in food-wise is ice cream. That's my, that's my food mood. Ice cream, any ice cream lovers in the house. But if I only ate what sounded good, that would be paving the way for destruction. And I am tempted almost every day because we have one of those fridges that has the freezer on the bottom and my two-year-old can open that freezer and the first thing she asks for every, almost every morning is ice cream. And I have to talk her out of ice cream and into frozen yogurt. <laughs> and I think, I want ice cream for breakfast too. <laughs> but I know that this isn't good for me. It's not good for my body. And so setting up Jesus as king of your life means saying yes to him every time, but it also means saying no to things. Sometimes things you crave because your king says no. Let's keep reading. But we, but we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. And we eagerly await for him to return as our savior. And he brings that city from Isaiah 60 and Revelation 21 and 22. We are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our savior. He will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. That's what it means to be king, to bring everything under his control. And so to answer the questions, who am I? What am I here for? Who do I belong to? The answer to the first question is to be a citizen of heaven means that you let God define you. Every part of you. And that's not easy because there are a lot of tugs. There are a lot of stories being told that are trying to define you in ways that benefit the person who's selling the stuff that they want you to buy. Whether that's a product or an idea or like a new identity. To be a citizen of the king means you let God define you, every part of you. 
I talked about this already. Always say yes to your king. Some of the most important things in your life will come about because you said yes to your king. Not some of the most important things. In my experience, everything that I have done that has had true meaning and value is because I said yes to Jesus. Even when I didn't want to. This might be your first time in a vineyard church, but uh, I'll tell you, my wife and I started attending a vineyard church with no intention to stay in the vineyard. Um, I had followed God's voice to school to become a pastor, which is something I didn't really want to do. But then I started attending the Vineyard Church in Michigan, where I was going to school, because I wanted to learn about the Holy Spirit. What ended up happening is Jesus became three-dimensional to me, like living, like speaking, which is kind of scary stuff, because he could ask you to do the thing that you don't want to do. And I've told this story to some of you before. I was sitting uh, Imagine this is Michigan for a moment. So the chairs are not red. That's one of the main differences. <laughs> Sorry. Some of you know how I feel about the, uh, yeah, but I'm ching. Okay. I'm sitting on this side of the room and I hear God say, these are your people. And I say, oh God, no. Because <laughs> the, the people in Michigan and the vineyard there are also strange. <laughs> no offense. <laughs> I said, God, don't you understand? You're asking me to leave what I know, the church that I was raised in. He says, yeah, I know. I said, but that's where the money is. The money, like, speaking of uh, appetite, speaking of gods, like, that's where the easy money is. And you know, in the vineyard, to become a pastor in the vineyard, there's no, like, clear step one, step two, step three. It's like, let's see what God does. (laughs) Come and work for me for a while. So for 10 hours a week, I did kids ministry for a couple years, you know? That's, that was not the vision I had for my life. But I, le- I mean, it was, I learned, it was great. I learned a lot. We planted a church. Not an easy thing to do. God made me do it. <laughs> I say, finally, I'm in, I'm in the worship service. God is saying, the vineyard, these are your people. I say, God, but these people are weird. He says, I know. It's because we are, uh, we're just real, just authentic. We just show up as we are instead of how other people wish we would, or at least that's what we're going for. That's the culture that we want here. And so I don't know what that means for you in terms of saying yes to your king, but if you're thinking about career, if you're thinking about a spouse, if you're thinking about having kids or not having kids, if you're thinking about moving, if you're thinking about what church to call your own, it's a good idea to let God speak to you. And he, he gets to decide. If you're a citizen of heaven, you say yes. If you're not sure what he's saying, it's always good to talk to friends say, does this sound like God? And they'll help you through. Third thing that it means to be, um, wait, let's, let's, I want to just talk a little bit more that, about that. It, just to summarize what I said before, because this answers the question, what am I here for? Always say yes to your king means you say no to some things that you crave. It means saying yes to living like an ethical 
life, a good life. And sexual ethics are a part of that. And one of the reasons that Christians were rejected and persecuted and not liked is because it was very obvious that the Christians wouldn't participate in the sexual immorality of the day. But they showed that they belonged to the city of the king, the true king, by showing love and being generous to the poor and running into cities that were being filled with disease instead of running out of them and being willing to die instead of say Jesus is not Lord, Caesar is Lord. They would die saying Jesus is Lord. It's the life that shows the righteousness that God has declared for you that you have received by faith. Number three, it means that you're committed to community. It means that you join the colony of heaven. It means that you bring the culture of Jesus, which is not the same thing as the Christian subculture, by the way. It's not the same thing as watching this specific news station or only reading this types of books or whatever. The culture of Jesus is a culture where you let anybody in, (laughs) where you don't judge people based on past behavior or economic status or the color of their skin. It means we form a community that is centered on Jesus. And we're all committed to move toward him together. It means that you bring the reign of Jesus to every part of life. And so there are ways to do business that Jesus wants to see in the world, where people are treated fairly and not taken advantage of, where where credit is shared and not, uh, I don't know what, what that is, <laughs> you know, like where you're not taking the credit for everything, where you're, where you're giving gratitude and thanks. It means bringing the kingdom when you pray for the sick and the hurting and the lonely and love the outcast and have dinner with the person who has nowhere else to go. To bring the kingdom and the culture of Jesus. And, and this, this pool is one of the main symbols of what it looks like to be united with Jesus. Because when you go under, the symbolism is that you die with Jesus. And as you come up, it is being raised again to new life with him. So in the Old Testament, you had circumcision, which meant that you were part of the covenant. In the New Testament, you have baptism, which shows that you are a citizen of the kingdom. And so just as if you were born on American soil, you become an American citizen. As you are reborn, given new life, given new birth by the Spirit, you are raised into kingdom citizenship. And so you are raised into a new identity. You are raised into new status with God. You are raised into new purpose. You are raised and find yourself rooted in a community called the church. It is no accident that in Isaiah 60, he, God, is addressing a city, a new Jerusalem. And in Revelation, you have 
a wedding scene. And it's not with this one person who was really especially good and loved Jesus well. The bride of Christ is the church of Jesus. And so you find yourself in this community. And part of that means we all take investment in the people who are baptized, in their spiritual development and maturity, no matter their age or their stage. And, and just one simple way we do that as a church is we give them Bibles. One of the things we want to do well is make the Bible accessible to people regardless of their age. So when, you have, when we have child dedications, we give them a Bible. <laughs> when you graduate from vineyard kids to vineyard youth, we give you a Bible. We actually give you one of these. And when you're baptized, we give you a Bible. Uh, and what most of the kids will be getting, because they're likely to get one of these soon, is a story Bible. And the idea is that you can get the big narrative picture of the Bible because it's abridged. And you don't get lost in Leviticus. It's a running joke here. Ezekiel, have you ever read Ezekiel? Oh, it's rough. But so instead of being like 80 pages, uh, Ezekiel's like 10 pages. It's, it's, it's the Bible, like it's just, it's the words of the New International Version, in fact, but condensed into this, uh, this little blue book. And so one of the gifts we give to you is the Bible made accessible, and I hope you read it, and I hope you seek it, because it will help teach you what it means to love Jesus as your king. And so I'm going to invite the worship team forward. These guys are going to be baptized uh, after the video of them declaring what it means to them to be baptized. And if you want to be baptized in the room, if that was you that God was speaking to, come and find me and we will do it. I'll be sitting right there. Okay, let's, uh, let me just pray a quick blessing. Holy Spirit, come. We pray that you would just make us more into your image. Help us to love like you. Help us to live like you. And as we go to school and as we go to our families and as we go to work, let us actually be people that bring the kingdom and the culture of Jesus. Amen. My name is Ellie. I am seven years old and I want to be baptized because I saw him get baptized and I really wanted to do it. And I love Jesus because um, he loves me a ton. Hi, my name is Maggie Nephis, and I want to get baptized because I feel like I want to make right choices, and I want to follow Jesus, because Jesus is always there for me, and I love Jesus. And when I get scared at night, he's always with me, and I know that. Um, my name is Sophia, and I'm seven years old, and... I want to get baptized because um, sometimes when I'm in the tub, 
I uh, baptized myself. Um, and when I come back up, I feel like I'm ready to go, get baptized. Um, and, uh, and I love Jesus because he does miracles and he is always with me wherever I go. Hi, my name is William. I'm 10 years old. I want to be baptized because I basically just want to refill myself with this whole faith thing because lately I've been feeling like I need more of it and baptism sounds like a great way for me to really just put more of my trust in God. And my favorite thing about Jesus is that he is a God of second chances. Hi, my name is Jackie Belbin. I'm 17 years old and I'm getting baptized today because I believe it represents forgiveness and cleansing from sin that comes from faith in Jesus Christ. Hello, my name is Autumn Bell Padgett and I am eight years old. The reason why I want to be baptized is because I felt like the Holy Spirit was telling me. So that's why I wanted to be baptized and I love God so much. So I feel like I needed to be baptized. Hello, I'm Layla. I'm eight years old. I want, the first time I jumped into the water, I felt magical. I felt like the Holy Spirit came to me and told me that I needed to be baptized. And here I am now today, being baptized. Bye -bye. I love Jesus. And I love Jesus because I love everything about Jesus. He's just a magical person. Thanks again for listening to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We hope you share this with your friends and family and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.